John chapter 21, we're going to be looking at about uh, verse uh, 15, uh, but we'll, we'll look in uh, a good portion there, uh, verse 15 through 19 is where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this passage of Scripture, uh, the, the, the two-thirds of this passage of Scripture, John chapter 21. Uh, and I want to begin with verse 3. Simon Peter, I love Peter, says to his friends, I'm going fishing. This chapter begins with Simon Peter at a place of discouragement in his life, at a place of frustration in his life, saying, I'm going fishing. Now, <clears throat> let me just put this in context for you. How many want me to cough in the microphone? Say, no, thank you, Pastor. Um, this is after the crucifixion. This is after Jesus has said to Simon Peter, um, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, I'll walk with you. I'll go all the way with you. I'll walk through anything with you. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Not only are you going to deny me one time, but you're going to deny me three times. And Peter could not conceive that he might deny the Lord uh, publicly, and, and that was just beyond his wildest imagination. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And, and, and of course, we know historically that that happened and, and all of that. We're not going to go in and read all of that. If you just go back through the last three or four chapters here in the book of John, all of that will unfold for you. But nevertheless, we're at a point after all of these events. Jesus has, has died and is resurrected and uh, Peter ha and he have not had any discussion about his denial and about his sense of failure. And, and Peter is at this point in his life where uh, he just cannot quite figure out what's going on. He just, nothing looks like, how many have ever been at a point where you can look at your life and nothing looks like you imagined it would look? This is the point where we find Peter, and we're picking up in Peter's life at a point where he's disappointed in himself. He assumes, I'm sure, that the Lord is disappointed in him as well. How many have ever thought that? So he's at a point where he's disappointed with himself. He assumes that the others around him are disappointed with him, particularly the Lord and, and Savior Jesus, is, he, he thinks might be disappointed with him. And he looks at the guys and he says, I'm going fishing. There might be someone that's not here today because they said, I'm going fishing. Peter said, I'm going fishing. So he's out in his boat with his friends and they're fishing and they catch nothing and, and even that is frustrating and they're at a point where the sun is rising and they're coming back into shore and what do they find? They find Jesus on the shore with fish and bread prepared to eat. In these first uh, verses of chapter 21, verse 3, down through about verse 14, they find, they, they're, they're coming back from fish, their fishing trip, and they find Jesus on the shore, and he's cooking fish. And he has hot bread. I want to go to that meal, right? So Jesus is standing there on the shore and he tells them, you guys want to catch something? 
Cast your nets on the other side. I don't want to read all this or we'll be here all day. Cast your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll have a catch. And they do this and the nets are filled. They fished all night, caught nothing. And at the word of the Lord, they cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they have a catch. And they come dragging those nets to shore. And Jesus says, come on up here with your catch and and rest now and eat. That's what happens when you come to my house. My wife says, come on in, sit down and eat. I was at at someone's house. I can't remember who it was. I was at their house and, and grandma was dying and I stopped by because grandma was dying and, and all the family was around her. This is important. All the family was around her. and She calls her son in the room and he comes over and says, what do you want, mama? And she, he can barely hear her and he leans way over and he gets his ear down next to her mouth and she's laying there breathing shallow breaths and she says, eat. You need to eat. Some of her last words, eat. This is the heart of Jesus. Then we pick up in in, in, uh, John chapter 21 and verse 15, and here's where I want to read. I want to read this whole little discourse through 19. Uh, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Then again he says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, then tend my sheep. He says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? At this point, Peter was grieved because he says to him the third time, do you love me? I've told you this before and I'm going to tell you again. When God repeats himself, stop and pay attention. Always. When you're reading scripture and it seems that there is a concept, a theme, or a statement that is repetitive, God is trying to say something to you. So Peter is grieved because he says this, The third time, he says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I want you to listen. I'm not teaching on this, but I want you to pay attention. He said, feed my lambs, tend my flock, feed my sheep. We could teach just on those three statements, but I don't want, I just want you to pay attention and, and, and let that kind of roll over in your heart a little bit, those instructions that he was giving Peter. And then he says a curious thing. Again, we find ourselves at a passage of scripture where if we don't stop and pay attention, we would just blow through it in our reading. Verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, When you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked about wherever you desired. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you. Someone will assist you in dressing and preparing yourself and they will carry you about to places that you do not want to go. 
When you're old and someone else is dressing you, they're going to put you in the car and they're going to take you to run errands when you don't want to go. Right? That's what Jesus is saying to him. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would uh, glorify God, Peter. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I just want to unpack this for a few minutes, okay? We're just going to take this passage of Scripture. Now, we have some background. We understand it's after the crucifixion and all that has happened. And I just want to unpack this passage of Scripture for you for a few minutes, all right? This entire passage, chapter 21, verse 1 through 19, where Peter's fishing and having this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is asking him if he loves him, all of this entire passage, the motivation behind this passage and this conversation, all of this results from Peter's sense of failure in himself. John chapter 18, you can read and see Peter's denial and all of the disappointment that Peter was living in. And this is an interesting thing. Up to this point now, after the resurrection of Jesus, he has shown himself to the disciples. This is the third recorded time that he shows up in the lives of the disciples. And in none of those conversations did he ever say to Peter, you really disappointed me. None of those times did he ever say to Peter, do you realize that you failed? I submit to you that God is never going to say to you, you really have disappointed me. I submit to you that you are never going to hear the Holy Spirit say to you, you really failed. If that's a conversation going on in your head, you're having it with yourself. The Holy Spirit is not talking to you that way. Every time that I have faced a moment of failure in my life, a moment of personal disappointment, at that point, the Holy Spirit has always said to me, what are we going to do from here? Let's go on from here. The apostle said, putting those things that are behind me, behind me, I'm pressing on toward the mark, toward the prize. So, so what does this all mean? Let me give you some, some things that I believe that we can certainly glean. And there are many other things. My, my outline is, is obscure and, and small in comparison to all that you can draw out of this passage of Scripture. But listen to this. First of all, I want to tell you, from this passage and from this story, Jesus knows. Jesus knows your propensity to fail. Jesus knows your weakness. Jesus knows your tendency to disappoint yourself and to think that you've disappointed him. Jesus knows your inability. Jesus knows your weakness. Jesus knows that Jesse is struggling to get down the aisle. <laughs> Jesus knows. In John chapter 13... When Jesus told, I believe it's John chapter 13, when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. 
When Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me, that wasn't, that wasn't some kind of a, a put down for Peter. That was a moment in time where you and I get a snapshot of the fact that Jesus knows before you do your tendency to stumble. Jesus knows before you do your tendency to be reactionary to circumstances, your tendency to be reactive instead of proactive. Jesus knows that you have the weak, you live in the weakness of the flesh. That's not a license or a release to just go on being weak or living out those tendencies within our flesh. But it certainly is a comfort to know that Jesus knows that when we, he, he knows so well that the word says, when I, I am weak, he is strong. When I am struggling, you know he's not. When I'm discouraged, I have not yet gone to prayer and had the Lord say, I'm so discouraged. Jesus knew discouragement in the earth. He knew what it felt like as a human being to be discouraged, but he, sitting on the throne, is not discouraged. He's not discouraged with any of the circumstances in the earth. He's not being put off by all that's going on in the earth, and he's not discouraged with you. Does that comfort your heart? Jesus knows. It's, it's empowering for me to understand that Jesus knows my every weakness and my every frailty, my tendency to fail, and still love me. It's kind of amazing after 30-some years of marriage that, that a guy like me discovers that a, a lady like that wants to still hang out with me, right? It's even more so to discover that an imperfect guy like me, that a perfect God... He's saying, come and sit with me a while. Come and hang out with me. Come and talk with me. Come and let me talk to you. Come and let me share my heart with you. Let me tell you the things that are important to me. Jesus knows. He's never caught off guard. I remember times in, in, in life through the years where I've been in places of discouragement, and my mother-in-law has said things like, you haven't surprised the Lord. You've never surprised him. You've never done a thing that caught him off guard. You've never had a thought that made God go, oh, I wish you hadn't thought that. That's not how it works. So he's not caught off guard. Jesus knows. Then the other thing I want you to find in this passage of Scripture, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, Peter was a fisherman. When Jesus called him to the, to the responsibility of discipleship, he called him from the shores where he had been fishing. He said, Peter, hang up your nets and come and follow me. So Peter had been a fisherman. So what Jesus does when Peter defaults back to his comfortable place when, he, when after all that has happened, three and a half years he's walked with Jesus and, he's, and Jesus has invested in his life and after all these years of investment in his life where Jesus has poured the word into him and, and strengthened him, encouraged him to know the Father, encouraged him to know how to pray. All of this investment in Jesus, we get to the end of three and a half years, Peter denies him and goes back to what's familiar. Don't be too hard on Peter. You've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. 
But what I discover in this wonderful passage of Scripture is that Jesus not only knows, but He pursues. Isn't that powerful? He pursues Peter right back to the place of Peter's comfort zone, right back to Peter's default. And he pursues him back there. And he's waiting there at Peter's default, Peter's place of comfort, Peter's place to hide out, Peter's place to decompress. He runs away from life, gets out there on the ocean where the cell phone is out of, out of reach. No, he didn't have a cell phone, but you do. So he puts a little message out to his friends. I'm going fishing. You aren't going to be able to get a hold of me for a while. And after his place of default, to his place of comfort, to the place that he's going to go to decompress, he comes back to the shore, and there he finds Jesus waiting for him. Jesus pursues you. He runs after you. You think you're pursuing God? I have news for you. In all of your pursuit of him, and I hope you are in, in your understanding of who you are and how God framed you, I hope that you are passionately pursuing him. I hope that we're raising a generation of young people that will spend their life in pursuit of God. But the reality is, you will never pursue him more than he pursues you. You will never pursue him more. You will never move more aggressively toward him than he does you. In fact, the scripture says no one comes unless the spirit is drawing them. So your pursuit of him, your desire to pursue him, your very desire to pursue him, that in itself is a work of the spirit of God to say, come, come on, I'm pursuing you. The moment you have desire to pursue God, that's a work of the Spirit. That's a work of Him pursuing you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. I'm knocking open the door. I'm already pursuing. Pursue me. So we see in, this, in the context of this passage that Peter, not only has he denied the Lord, he saw him a couple of times already, and then he just says, oh, I don't even know what to do with this anymore, and he runs to his default hiding place, his comfort zone, his place of, uh, of comfort, and, and a place where nobody can get a hold of him out there in the middle of the, the, the sea, and then, and then he comes back and finds that the whole time Jesus has been pursuing him. When you return to the safety of the familiar, God is seeking you out. We get really hard on each other, uh, uh, particularly with defaulting back to the way we've always done things when we get discouraged. Many of us, most of us have a tendency, we have a default position. It's a place of safety in our own thinking. But you're not going to default to anywhere that God is not at. He's pursuing you. So Jesus knows and Jesus pursues. And then I just want to take this passage of Scripture and unpack it a little further because I want you to know that not only does Jesus know every, every propensity we have to fail and every weakness that we have, not only does He pursue us in the midst of our failures and in the midst of our own disappointments and in the midst of everything else that could possibly go wrong, Jesus provides. 
He provides the restoring of your soul. He says to these guys, first of all, Peter's out on a boat. God, Jesus has called him away from that life. And he said yes to coming away from that life. And now he's returned to that life. And before Jesus calls him again away from that life permanently, before he moves him out of that, he says, cast your nets on the other side. And he gives him a moment of success. I want you to think about that. Peter's in a place of default frustration. And even in that place, God gives him success. God wants you to be flourishing and successful. He does not want you in a place of failure. He does not, if you're in a place, if you're right now in your life, if you're in a place where you're disappointed with the outcome and, and things have not gone the way that you thought they should, vocationally otherwise, he does not want you in a place of failure. He will not leave you there. So God provides first this thing of Vocational success, that's part of restoring our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. He wants you, he wants you to feel what it feels like to be successful. Can I preach that? Are you sure? Are you sure it's okay to say that? I hope you can grasp that. I hope you can get your head around that and realize that it's part of restoring your soul. He created you to be fruitful. He created you to produce out of your life. And he wants that for you, even in the most natural of places. It is, it is really sad if a believer only flourishes spiritually and does not flourish in the natural. He wants you to flourish and be strengthened in the earth. He wants to be able to say, look at this guy that loves me. I'm blessing his socks off. Don't you want to be like that? He loves me. I'm pouring myself out in him because he loves me. Jesus is blessing me because we have this wonderful relationship. His blessing is chasing me down and overtaking me because he loves me and I love him. Right? That's, the, that's what the believer, that's the exchange that should take place in the life of the believer with respect to just being successful vocationally. Jesus provides restoring your soul. Then he provides restoring your body. These guys come to the shore and there's fish and bread, and he says, come on up here, guys. Put your nets down. Put down the tools of your trade. Put down your work and your labor. Come and eat. Throughout Scripture, there's all kinds. Every time we come together, I, in fact, I, I told Martha when I was going to be gone last week, I hope, you, I hope she did this. I told Martha when I was going to be gone last week from Connect Groups because I was going to be in Oklahoma, uh, I said, Martha, bring snacks. Make sure there's snacks and coffee. Why? He restores you. 
You come in from a long day's work and there's, there, there's some banana nut bread and a cup of coffee or, or there's some, some cookies and a cup of coffee and, and we're going to sit, around, sit down around the word of God. So, there's something of the heart of God in that, in that you are restored in the natural, that you are fed in body, that your body is strengthened. Jesus said, come and eat. Have a, you've worked all night. Have a little breakfast and rest. I, what, what is reality, in reality, what's taking place is he's saying to Peter, I'm about to have a conversation with you that matters. I need your head to be clear. I want you to be strengthened and fed. Try having a conversation with me when I'm hungry. I'm only thinking about Taco Bell. Some of y'all have had meetings with me. Where do do they take place? Panera Bread? You know, yeah, amen, huh? Glory to God for Panera Bread. Starbucks? Because it is in the heart of Jesus to take care of you physically. So he was restoring their soul, and then he was restoring their body. They'd worked all night. Come, eat, fellowship, rest in John chapter 21. But he doesn't stop there. This is a progression of life in the things of God. There are a great many people who spend time in, in, in worship and in, in uh, the Word of God and, and their whole focus is to, is, is to work on the mind, the will, and the emotions. Very important. So they don't have emotional overload. Very important so they don't have emotional breakdown. Then there are those in the earth, they're followers of Jesus, but they're all of, they, they are taking care of the body. It's important to God. Take care of the body. You can't finish the race if you're sick. If you're broken down, you can't be fruitful if you're having to take care of those circumstances and situations that become overwhelming to you and become consuming to you. So take care of the body. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus provides restoring to your spirit. He, when he had that conversation with Peter... Jesus' third appearance to Peter in in, in a short period of time after the resurrection and you don't hear one word of condemnation? You You don't even hear a word of correction from Jesus to Peter. How many of y'all, when you fail, you need to be told that you failed? Right? How how many of us really, when we've disappointed ourselves, we need someone to come along behind that and point out to us that we've been disappointed? If that's the way you're parenting, let me help you stop. Correction, instruction, direction for wisdom, yes, by all means. But just pointing out failure for the sake of pointing it out, I told you so. Oh, y'all are listening, y'all are rerunning tapes in your head right now. Either tapes of things you've said or things that have been said to you. What's that? You're perfect. Haven't heard mom say, I told you so in a while. I told you so. No, we don't hear that from Jesus. In, in John, uh, let me see. John chapter 21, verse 14 points, points out to us that this is the third time that Jesus has shown himself to the disciples. Why do you think it points that out to us? Because we can 
can, we can conclude, we can go back and look at those two other times and this time, and there's not a word of condemnation. That's important. That's important for the way that we perceive God, and that's important for the way that we interact with one another. It always amazes me when I have a volunteer, and it's not because obviously we have a lot of volunteers in the life of this ministry. A lot, everyone who serves serves in some some level of volunteering. And I've had people come to me, and maybe something didn't go right, and they'd say, "Pastor, you're going to be really disappointed when I tell you this." And they're always surprised when I'm like, "Well, what are we going to do next time? How are we going to? How, where do we go from here?" Because that's how God is with me. Oh, I went to him and I said, Lord, I know that you, you must be so disappointed. No, Anthony, what are we going to do next time this arises? That's the only conversation that he has. Oh, you're going to, you know what I say? You're going to teach me to be led by the Spirit. You're going to teach me to be Spirit-led and not head-led. Not, oh, we don't need this brain to lead us. We need his mind to lead us. Amen? Oh, we'd be in trouble if, if I didn't submit this to that. Woo! We'd be in trouble. So you get acceptance and value and affirmation. He's restoring your spirit. He provides restoration for your soul. He provides restoration for your body. He provides restoration for your spirit. And then he has this great conversation with Peter. And I want, you to, I want to tell you that he provides, in, he provides fulfillment in giving you your assignment. He provides fulfillment in allowing you to be the kind of individual in the kingdom of God that can actually produce fruit. He has this conversation with Peter and he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Saying, Peter, I'm giving you the thing that I've assigned you to do. Take care of those who love and follow me. Take care of, teach, train, equip, strengthen, feed, encourage, encourage. Peter, I'm encouraging you in your time of greatest disappointment and dismay. Take my example and go to those who are following me and lead them. Feed my lambs, those little ones. Feed my, tend my sheep. Take care of them. Feed my, feed my sheep. So in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, Jesus is simply describing to Peter, this is the thing that I'm equipping you to do. This is the assignment that I've given to your life. He provides purpose, fulfillment and purpose. Then, not only does he give you purpose in your life, after he's restored your soul, your body, your spirit, he gives you purpose. Then he challenges you. He provides challenge with wisdom and grace. John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. It's that most peculiar passage of Scripture and Jesus, where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you're young, you just gird yourself up and go do whatever you want to do. And when you're old, the season... The season where you jump up and go and do what you want to do is going to pass. Oh, God forbid, right? 
I, don't, I have yet to figure out, particularly as I age, when you qualify to be the elderly. And I find that it's getting further and further out there. Like I said, when I prayed for Roger, he's going to be 80 years old. I'm not sure that qualifies as the elderly, but the Bible does say that the elderly will flourish in the courts of the Lord. So Jesus says this peculiar thing to Peter, and I just want to unpack this for just a minute. He says, Peter, you gird yourself up and you run off and you do whatever is in your mind to do. You say, I'm going fishing and you go fishing. But the day is going to come when all of that passes and someone helps you get dressed and they take you by the hand and they lead you about your day and you don't have any control. They don't let you drive anymore. They don't let you make all the provisions for your own way anymore. They take care of you and they tell you what you're going to eat and they tell you where you're going to sit and they tell you where you're going to go and you go back you you actually return to some sense of childhood if you live to be that old god forbid (laughs) you know what he's saying to peter you have a window of time I'm going to challenge you this morning, folks. I'm going to challenge you from the Word of God. You have a window of time. You have a season of opportunity. That season, one day you will blink, and one day you will blink, and you'll look back over your life, and you'll say, where has the time gone? Where have the opportunities gone? Where have the seasons gone? When I had the strength to just rise and go and do whatever needed to be done, that season will pass. Jesus is saying, Peter, this season that you're in, where you have the ability to say, I'm going fishing, and you go fishing, or you have the ability to say, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do that. Peter, you have a window of time. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my little ones. Do the work that I've called you to do. There's plenty of people on the earth who as they are, as they are aging and as they are growing in life and uh, in their younger years, they think, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I want to do. And when I'm old, I'll go and I'll serve the Lord. No! Give him your best. Invest your best season in him. Invest your strength in him. Invest your time in him now. When you are young and when you are strong and when you are well abled, when you are ready to run with strength. Because I challenge you, if you're in the room and you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, You're going to be 60 before you know it. You're going to blink and it'll be gone. And those of you that are in between, anywhere in between, you realize, you've begun to realize how quickly it passes. I remember when I was a young man, Christmas vacation would come, you know, and they'd let us out of school, hallelujah. And, and, and we'd have that, what, two, two and a half weeks of, of break there in the winter, winter break. And it seemed like it was forever to get to January. We could barely wait for Christmas to come. Now they give that break and the kids come home and you blink and they're in there unwrapping their gifts and you blink again and they're back at school. And you're like, is time going faster than it did when I was a kid? What's this? Jesus says to Peter, you're in a season right now where you can go and do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. I challenge you to do what I'm calling you to do. I challenge you not to waste time getting about the things that I have called you to. For you as a church, when, when Scripture says 
that, that we are to be connected together. When Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, I challenge you, don't, don't hold that in a place of low priority. When you're making decisions about how you're going to spend your time and, and your life, I was, I was contemplating this uh, just this week, because of traveling, you get a little more time in your travel to, for devotion or prayer or, or to open your laptop or to do whatever, uh, to read scripture and, and spend time whenever you're traveling. When you're in an airport, you have a little bit more time than you have when you're at home. And I was contemplating the busyness of life and how those seasons are taken from us in these, in these busy years of life where you're working and you're serving the Lord and you're volunteering in your church and you're doing all the things that, that, that are in front of you to do. And you get to, end, you get to the end of some of your, your days and you look back over the day and you're like, Lord, I, ne I never spent the time with you that I'd like to spend with you. What happened to the day? I want to challenge you that while you have the strength to gird yourself and prepare yourself for your day, that you have the strength to address blocks of time in your schedule to set aside and spend with the Lord. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm going to be that eight-hour-a-day prayer guy. That's a grace over some lives for individuals who are called to do certain things. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will grace you to take a good 10 minutes in the morning and focus on Him. Amen. To set your clock up a little earlier. Next week, time changes, by the way. If you don't change your clock, you get to church late. It's spring. Don't come to church late, come early. If you set your clock back, get here in time for preaching. Come anyway, if you forget. But while you are at a place in your life where you can make the assessment of how you spend your time in your life, find a way, whatever that looks like for you, because that is different for everyone, it's different for everyone, so you're, I'm not going to throw stones at you if I spend 30 minutes and you spend 10, or, or, or if you spend two hours and I spend one uh, pursuing God in terms of study and prayer. I'm we're talking about devotion, those, those things. But if find a way to design your life while you are girding you, while you are setting your schedule, while you are going about your life, find a way to pursue Him. Find out what that looks like in your life. Pursue him. Now, I've had people tell me that, well, I, I, I haven't done my laundry and I haven't vacuumed the floor. I've just been praying. You can pray and vacuum. No, I'm serious. God did not call you to set aside, except for maybe a season, like a fast, to set aside the responsibilities of your life. Y'all are eating donuts for breakfast because I don't have time to cook for you. I am praying. Really? You have a responsibility. And the, here's, here's the way God looks at that. Here, listen, this is important. To eternal issues, this is important. If you are faithful over a few things, 
then I can make you ruler over many. God designed life to be busy. That doesn't absolve you from the opportunity to have a relationship with him. I remember in the years that I was bivocational, I went to work at three in the afternoon and worked till one in the morning and I spent my uh, lunch hours praying. I would come home at one in the morning and sometimes when I was, when I was pastoring and, and, uh, and working, I would come home and at one in the morning is the, hour that I would, the hours that I would prepare to teach the next Sunday. Because those were the hours that God gave me grace to do that. My life's different now. I'm older. My body's different now. That whole waking up in the middle of the night thing ain't so fun. So, we pursue Him. He designed life this way. Life is busy. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. I like to eat. I love to work. I love what that produces in my life. Love work. It's a blessing from God. Work is a blessing from God. That's not, listen, work was not part of the curse. There's work associated with some of those things that were in the curse, but work is a blessing. So God provides. The restoring of your soul, the restoring of your body, the restoring of your spirit, the giving of assignment and the fulfillment that comes in it and provides a challenge with wisdom and grace for you to do those things in the season that they are available to you to do them because that season will pass. Praise God. I challenge you this morning. Jesus knows he pursues, and He provides. Can we all just thank Him for that for a minute? Thank you, Lord, for knowing me in my weakness, in the veil, in the way, in the veil of the weakest areas of my flesh. You know me well. Thank you, Lord, for pursuing me in spite of it. Thank you, Lord, for pursuing after me, even when, like Peter, I'm running away. When I'm distancing myself from you, you are pursuing me still. Thank you, Lord, for providing the strengthening of my body, soul, and spirit. For giving me purpose 